from the swarming studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another infested episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. We've all had it happen. Pantry moths suddenly appear and drive us crazy until we can trap them all. I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss a listener's theory that they're actually beneficial. Plus, a couple, three more gardening books that would make great holiday gifts. And your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and radiantly redundant rationalizations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than a pack of pests emerging from your Fruit Loops right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and I want to warn you or urge you or whatever you to get a pen or pencil and paper handy because in the middle segment today, we're going to be discussing great last-minute books that you can get for the holidays for the gardener in your life. So don't be like me and have it start and you go running for a Whole Foods paper bag and a Sharpie and, you know, try to take your notes on that. And, of course, the Sharpie running out of ink at the same time. So be prepared because that's coming up. We have a great question of the week coming up as well, very seasonal. But we got to get to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Liz, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Liz. How you doing? Doing really well here in Nampa, Idaho. So uh, not like I'm an expert on Idaho, but where is Nampa? We are just west of Boise, about 30 minutes, so oh, okay. we're in the banana belt of Idaho. Okay. <laughs> now, we, we have to stop and explain that a little bit. Uh, the banana belt in Idaho is a real thing, right? You have a, a warmer climate than the rest of your area that I believe comes down uh, from a slate of warm weather in Canada, above you. Oh, I didn't know where it came from, but yeah, we do have uh, warmer temperatures, and I'm right on the edge of a wine-growing country, so or grape-growing for wine. So, yeah, it's really yeah. pretty. And, you know, people have these preconceptions, as did I, and I was actually covering um, Ontario and some of the other provinces of Canada for back when I was a health reporter and somebody at dinner one night said, do you know, there's a, a high desert in Canada towards the West. And I'm going, what? 
no, Canada's frozen. It's overrun with polar bears, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad we went into this little diatribe because now I have a much better idea um, about your climate, which is not the typical Idahoian. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, what do you want? Well, I um, recently saw a post on Instagram about my nephew having collected pine cones, and he made a syrup, a fermented pine cone syrup with brown sugar. And I was immediately intrigued. I wanted to do it right away, but it's fall here. And in my internet research, it said you cannot get green pine cones, which is what's required, until the spring. Um, but then I went to my backyard, and then we back up to the common area. There's some pine trees. And they had green pine cones on them. And so uh, lucky for me, I got to, I'm going to try and make this syrup, I think, with them. But I was just kind of surprised to see one tree full of pine cones and none of the other trees have these green cones on them. And I just wondered why there would be this tree with these these green cones in the fall when it, in everything I'm reading, it should only be the spring. Well, it's exactly the same reason that one of my forsythia is covered with bright yellow flowers that are supposed to appear in the spring. Um, Climate change, global warming, uh, whatever you want to call it, Uh, satellites controlling our weather from other planets (laughs) um, have confused the heck out of plants. And there have been a lot of spring bloomers um, that go through like a warm, cold cycle at exactly the right time in the fall, and they start blooming again. So the same thing could be true of one of your pine trees. Now, do you know Mm -hmm. how to pronounce this syrup? I don't want to do it on my own. The best I could find is Mugolio, kind of like the Mugo pine or Mugo pine. Yeah, so. Mugolio, I'll take it. Mugolio, um, yeah. Yes, so I was intrigued by this and bypassed a lot of the more conventional sites. And here's another uh, thing for you to write down, cats and kittens. Foragerchef.com which is the website of Alan Burgo, B-E-R-G-O, who can also be contacted at Alan, B-E-R-G-O, dot com. He is a chef who has been um, working with uh, foraged foods and uh, for quite a while now, I'm not sure exactly how long, He got turned on to this thing about young pine cones and making syrup out of them. And he has a lot of information uh, about exactly how to do this, including the different kind of pine cones that you can use at forager.com. And yes, you're, and, and the basic idea is. You pick pine cones that are not brand new, but that have uh, matured to what we would call full green. And then you harvest them 
while they are their most green and resonant. Um, resonant? No. I don't. Resinous. That's it. Full resin. of resin, just that like me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's when you harvest them. There is a great image on the site. I think we all love where somebody with good photographic ability lines up things in a row. And, uh, you know, this could be an art print. But on the far right, he has brand newly emerged pine cones that have a lot of uh, brown in them. And then in the middle and towards the left, he has them when they have progressed to all green. And obviously, you can also smell this out. You know, pick one off and, you know, lightly crush it. And the better and the stronger the pine scent you get, um, the better. Uh, but, yes, you're correct. You can't use the brown ones, the the finished ones, the ones that are open um, that you see on the ground this time of year. But that's good in a way because now you know what you're looking for. And the answer to your question is if they are really green and resinous, I would do this. And what you do is you – and he says you can use any kind of – of, quote, pine cone, uh, pine nut, um, the trimmings, uh, the new growth, the uh, tips of plants like spruce, all of these have dramatic flavors that mostly we as humans or even foragers, foragers, those are people who forage in another country, kids. <laughs> uh, I'm losing it already. Um, foragers, I, 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 you know, because I've known a lot of foragers and I've uh, reviewed a lot of their books. And, you know, I don't recall seeing this mentioned uh, very much. But uh, there are recipes at his page. And what I, I, I love everything about this guy. I mean, he writes like I do. He makes everything clear. He's funny, and he's clearly knowledgeable. He's done all this stuff. There's, to me, there's no better combination. So you harvest, um, you, you know, your nuts, your cones, your tips, and then depending on the plant, and he tells you exactly what plant, produces the best kind of either Muglio or Muglio. I don't know. So I wrote down M-U-G-L-I-O. I might have missed a letter. Um, but uh, he has different uses for each one and explains um, how each one will taste differently. But you essentially put them in something like a mason jar. You put in brown sugar or turbinado sugar, but not white sugar, because it makes the end result too dry and crystallized. So you use one of the many brown sugars. And then in some cases, unless I'm missing something, that's it. 
It's just the uh, immature pine cones and the sugar. But in others, I think I must be missing uh, some amount of water that goes in there as well. Um, some From what I was seeing, there was no water added. It's just that the resin of the pine breaks down with the sugar and ferments into the syrup. The, the most of the recipes I saw, they didn't add any additional ingredients, which I thought was amazing. Yes. Because uh, it does turn into like a maple syrup consistency. Same with me. But as I read deeper and I spent some time on this, there appeared to be situations where you do add water. It's all plant-specific. But any res- resinous, <laughs> no matter where you're from, um, uh, you know, pine cone, you know, or uh, tips of spruce trees and things like that will work, but they all need to be handled differently, and they will all provide a different taste. And, yes, as your son mentioned some of them will actually ferment during the process not all of them uh, but some of them will which theoretically only makes it better and then Mm -hmm. to some degree the longer the time um, you let them sit or ferment whatever um, I've read everything from one to four months then you simply strain it out And you have a material much like maple syrup that can be used exactly like maple syrup and I believe tastes somewhat like maple syrup but with this back flavor, with this piney edge. And Alan Burgo even goes into detail about which pine cones Um, once they're modified, taste best on pancakes, which ones taste best on ice cream. He has a friend who uses it um, when he makes whiskey. I mean, this is so easy. I mean, I'm terrified of foraging for mushrooms. I don't do it Mm -hmm. Um, because I know I don't know what I'm doing. And I already get to recount too many failures as it is. And, you know, you make a big failure there, you don't get to recount. (laughs) I'm pretty good with some wild plants with foraging, Um, um, like purslane and chickweed and dandelion leaves that have just emerged from the ground before any buds begin to form. Um, But you always hope you really know what you're doing. But with pine cones, come on, easy peasy. So They're right there. I'm so excited to try it. Yeah, I love this idea. Uh, You can even use juniper berries. He said, I mean, there's almost no end Uh, to the list of evergreen parts that you could utilize for this process. So, again, wait till they're – go ahead. Oh, I did – just to back up a little bit, you mentioned the time frame, and I did find a really interesting – somebody said they're – someone from Romania, their ancestors, used to make it, and they would bury it in the ground for up to a year. So, I mean, it can be a process as, like – intense or you know as you want it doesn't have to be 
for a year, but it, it's an old tradition. And oh yeah, yeah. And all right. these right. cultures would have had their own way of processing this. And I think obviously it's a lot like kimchi. You know, you do mm-hmm. it, you bury it, yeah. you try to remember where it was, you dig it up, <laughs> and it didn't take up any room in the house. Now, <laughs> finally, the reason that I especially love this guy, and I will have him on the show in the spring to discuss this when the pine cones are oh, coming cool. out and everything. I mean, I haven't arranged it yet, but I'm, I'm going to stalk him. And get him on the show. On this website, there's a click through to some other recipes. One of which is, cover your ears, vegetarians and squirrel lovers, acorn (laughs) fried squirrel. Anybody who has a recipe for acorn fried squirrel is a brother to me. So, again... You want them green. It seems to be super easy. Read over some of his recipes. And, um, you know, if you can, when you're in a craft store or you're searching online, if you find a deal on bulk bottles, empty bottles, that either have little lids or corks, these would make fabulous gifts. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be perfect for Christmas gifts. Yeah, well, you're not going to get it for this Christmas, but um, unlike me, you may actually plan ahead some years. Maybe. Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, my pleasure, Liz. Thank you for introducing me to this topic. And uh, more to come, okay? All right. Thanks. I love your show so much. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody with a live-cut Christmas tree in the house to be sure that the saucer under that tree stays filled with fresh water. Otherwise, lots of sharp green needles are going to adorn the undersides of your socks. But don't go checking that container just yet, because we'll be right back to discuss a bunch of books any gardener would be thrilled to receive Have that pen and paper ready and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and it is time for that special segment we teased earlier in the show. So I hope you have a pen and paper or pencil and paper or cardboard box or an old magic marker, something to write things down on, because we are going to recommend 
last-minute gift books for gardeners that we're pretty sure you can have on hand for at least the Christmas holidays. We probably missed Hanukkah, but uh, we're doing our best, I'll tell you. Anyway, if you do fail to write these things down and after the show you're kicking yourself, just go listen to the podcast, and this is the second segment, which begins, you know, about 18, 20 minutes into the show. And you better have a piece of paper and a hand and, and a hand and a hand and a pen because you need the hand to work the pen. All right, this is working out great already. Um, now, the first book I want to recommend is one we talked about at length um, in a recent show. I don't know if it was exactly during 2023. <clears throat> Could have been the year before that. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of positive comments on it. It is called Regrow Your Veggies, Growing Vegetables from Roots, Cuttings, and Scraps. It is by Melissa Rorpart and Felix Lill. I apologize to Melissa because I probably got her name wrong there. Um, it is from... Let me see. Fox. Well, it's from like a lot of these books lately. It is from Companion House Books, which is an imprint of Fox Chapel Publishers. And inside it says it's from 2020. So I was wrong again. Anyway, this is a fabulous book. Um, learning how to regrow your vegetables or just the possibilities of you saving some things uh, from the compost pile and having neat little things you can eat growing in your windowsill is really appealing to a lot of people. And the co-authors do a great job of telling you how to do this with just un and almost unimaginable to me um, number of herbs and fruits and veggies, including, and I'm just going to go down the list of contents here, uh, Chinese cabbage, scallions, potatoes, leeks, horseradish, romaine lettuce, beets, celery, sweet potatoes, Jerusalem artichokes, hmm. onions, basil, ginger, Coriander, turmeric, 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 mint, turmeric again, no, lemongrass, <laughs> pineapple, which we all know, but maybe they'll make us, help us make it uh, work better. Avocado, mango, um, well, these are clearly not in alphabetical order, but um, I can tell you the first time I read through this book, um, just the instructions on how to propagate basil, uh, which involves taking a stem and not a root cutting or anything like that, uh, just amazed me. I literally never knew it. Um, I know the book is in print because the publisher— Fox Chapel 
is also the publisher of my favorite book of my own in print, which is the You Bet Your Garden Guide to Growing Great Tomatoes. And this is a book that has a long history dating back to my time at Rodale Press in the late 1990s. It has been through so many editions and formats, I can't even begin to tell you. But thinking about the time of year and that pretty soon it will be time to order your seeds if you want to try seed starting, which I hold your hand through um, in the first part of the book, or to just dream about the tomatoes you're going to buy at a local independent garden center, not at your local Western auto store, okay? Support your local garden center. This is the time of year. Like I said, if you're going to grow, if you're going to try and grow tomatoes from seed, you got to get your act in gear pretty much right after the first of the year. And this book will hold your hand with my typical wit and wisdom and help you grow the tomatoes of your choice and also help you choose the tomatoes of your choice based on exactly what you're looking for and how long your growing season is and if there are any special climate warnings about the area you're going to be growing in. It's a lot of fun. It teaches you everything about starting tomato seeds, to buying uh, starts professionally made, to getting them in the ground, to supporting them, even when to harvest them. And I think it also contains my personal tomato sauce recipe. Um, Yes, here it is. Um, You won't want to miss this. You can make really thick tomato sauce, as thick as I am, ladies and gentlemen, in much less time, at least half the time, I feel like clickbait on your computer right now. You can do this in half the time and get twice the amount of usable sauce just for following these instructions. And and there's more. No, there isn't more. Anyway, we will help you from cradle to not the grave, but uh, to a lot of tomato sauce put up in mason jars so you can enjoy your harvest all winter long. So once again, that's the You Bet Your Garden Guide to Growing Great Tomatoes by me, Mike McGrath, and it is also available through Fox Chapel Publishing, as well as through other venues. At this point in time, you want to pick the one that has the best chance of getting the book uh, to you. I would be remiss in this segment if I did not also include the Green Witch's Guide to Magical Plants and Flowers. Now, we did an interview with the co-authors of this wonderful uh, book this year, and I got a little nuts. I loved the topic. I loved the book. I love talking with these people so much. It almost took up an entire episode of the show. 
Uh, but again, uh, people seem to have really enjoyed it. I like it. And this is one of those books that I will have sitting around the house because you can just pick it up at any point and read a segment. What you'll get is the history of the plant in green magic, which is good magic, the opposite of black magic, and it utilizes natural elements from the environment um, for two very specific purposes. One is for personal protection. I hesitate to call these spells because they're actual recipes telling you how to combine things you can find in the outside world, package them in a specific way to achieve two different things. One is personal protection. You put these things together in the right way and you will be protected from your enemies. However, a large number of the recipes are love potions. And it may seem far away, but Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you want to improve your situation, there are many recipes in here designed to make you feel more attractive. And the reason I put it that way is in the interviews um, with these people, if you want to attract a new love, plant basil all around your front door. Now it so happens that I had containers of basil all over my patio and around my front door. And I said, it's not working. And one of the authors said, did you intend to attract love when you put the basil out? And I said, no, I just wanted basil to make my tomato sauce later in the season. And he said, try it again, but with a specific intention for why you're doing this. And I love any kind of book or instruction that places you in the moment, that urges you to be in the moment, to be conscious of what you're doing. Again, I can't recommend this highly enough. It is the Green Witch's Guide to Magical Plants and Flowers, 26 Love Spells, Utilizing Apples to Zinnias, and it is from Skyhorse Publishing. And I can guarantee that this one's in print because it didn't come out that long ago, um, and it's probably selling very well. It's a, like, it's, a, it's a smaller size book, but you can read everything in it, and it has one of my favorite things, which you may know from previous shows. It's got a ribbon to hold your place, which, you know, I'm easy, cats and kittens. Give me a ring. I'm like a cat, I guess. I'll just swat at it until I get bored and fall asleep. Um, as I was picking these books, I was thinking, you know, what will really anybody who loves plants uh, be into? And so I was drawn back to a book called Tiny Plants, Discover the Joys of Growing and Collecting Itty Bitty Houseplants 
by Leslie Halleck. And this came out a couple years ago from Quattro, Q-U-A-R-T-O. And it came out in 2021. I'm sure you can find it. But especially for people who don't have a lot of indoor space, they want as many plants as they can fit into this. And the author of this book, I doubt I'll be able to find the um, precise number, but she has hundreds of these little plants uh, adorning her Manhattan studio apartment. So you can't say you don't have enough room. It's quite possible you just haven't been creative with that room. And, of course, this book is about the containers as much as the plants. Uh, But the feng shui in this is just enormous. Uh, Everything she puts together has that perfect look about it. And I think it will even lend you to place the plant and its pretty container into a nice niche in your home. Again, I loved interviewing this author. I loved reading the book, and I can recommend it highly. That's Tiny Plants from Quattro Publishing. And finally, we're going to finish up real quickly with a book that's not new. It is out of print, uh, but there are used copies available online both at Amazon, of course, and then there's a used book company that I often rely on called Abe Books, A-B-E, and they both have multiple copies listed. It's called Brother Crow, comma, Sister Corn, Traditional American Indian Gardening by Carol Buchanan, and... I have, uh, it's 10 Speed Press in Berkeley, California. Um, I had the opportunity to visit my new granddaughter over the Thanksgiving holidays. And to give the parents uh, a lot of space, I stayed at a nearby Airbnb that was on a lake. And I spent an entire day just going through this book and being reminded of how important it is to get back in tune with the earth. Sometimes I get trapped into just answering questions, which is when I feel I've done the worst job. But instead, this book is about realizing, remembering uh, the specific, the sacred bond we have with the earth centering around corn. But there is not a single page in this book that I was not re-inspired by as I read it again. It is, I can just imagine that if you read this in front of a roaring fireplace while there's snow coming down, you'll be transformed into a mystical being. I know I was. So um, no guarantees about delivery, but anyone would love to get this book. So take a picture of it, put it in an envelope, and tell them it's on its way. Carol Buchanan, Brother Crow, 
Sister Corn, Traditional American Indian Gardening from 10 Speed Press. And that's it, right? We're out of time. But just the end of the segment, not the end of the show. But it is also time for me to take a little break and remind all of you with holiday plants to keep your poinsettias indoors and warm. Although they are associated with the season, they are tropical plants originally from Mexico. But don't go wondering what details I'll dive into on this topic next week, because we'll be right back with the invasion of the pantry moths and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, and we are in the stretch now. Cats and kittens, in a little bit, we will discuss how to control all those little flying demons that are heading towards your eyes and nose when you're working in the kitchen. They are pestiferous. Could they be beneficial? We'll find out after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. 888-492-9444. Fred, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking, Fred. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. And where is Fred doing well? Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, well, we all know where that is. So uh, what can we do you for? Well, I've got a, a rubber tree plant uh, indoors. I've had it for maybe 25, 26 years, and uh, it, it needs pruning badly at this point in time, and I'm not sure what's the best way to do that. Uh, I've got some stems on it that are six, eight feet long that uh, uh, fairly bare, maybe up for the first three or four feet, and then, you know, with a bunch of leaves on the end. So mm-hmm. it's a very healthy plant, And I, I just, but I need to trim it back. And I didn't know, I've taken little clippings off of it on occasion, which you can root and, you know, produce a new plant. I've done that, but I need some serious pruning to be done to get it under control. What is the best way to do that? Okay, so we're only talking about what's called the skirt. Um, it's not too tall for the room. Correct. Well, gravity uh, pulls it down, so <laughs> uh, yes. Gravity pulls me down, too. You know, It's hard to get used to. I think you're easy here. I don't think you're going to be able to make a lot of mistakes. Now, the rubber tree plant, as you know, is a tropical plant, and it's not really on a solar cycle like our outdoor plants, our spring bloomers or roses, things like that. It's pretty much the same day after day. So um, how would it look if you took off every one of the bad sideways leaves? 
Well, it wouldn't look as pretty. Uh, I actually like the way it looks now, but due to space constraints is the reason I have to trim it back. So it, it wouldn't be as attractive, but on down the road, I'm sure it would grow back out. So uh, I'm willing to do that, whatever I need to do, you know. That would be my first thought. My second thought would involve what kind of a space it's occupying. Is it in a corner? No, it's just against a wall, and again, it just uh, goes where it wants to go, and I just let it go. So uh, that's that's probably the bad part, but no, no constraints on growth. There's nothing wrong with letting a plant do what the plant wants to do, again, unless you have to vacate the room to change your mind. Then you got to take care <laughs> of business. Um, yeah. So would it improve the walkway, so to speak, if you removed all of the long sideways branches from the back where it's against uh, where it's against the wall yeah 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 that would be doable uh, uh it's kind of heavy on one side uh more so than towards the back but uh, it could be either way but uh i mean i'm talking about maybe 8 to 10 branches that are fairly long right. and if i do cut those should it Cut them halfway, cut them all the way down close to the dirt level. Uh, where, where should I trim those? I would cut them all the way down uh, to the dirt level. Now, the okay. leaves themselves are nice and green and glossy. Yes. Do you rotate the plants? I do. Maybe okay. not as frequently as I need to, but I do rotate it. Yeah, because it if it's lopsided, then maybe I'm thinking cut off some or most of the branches that are now facing outward and then turn it around so that's against the wall and keep the branches that were against the wall because they sound like they're much smaller. Yeah, yeah, that's doable. And the final um, thing is, you know, if if you really like the fullness of the plant, you can put some stakes in the soil and then use twine or something cool-looking uh, to lift the leaves up, making them more upright. And where I would trim these down to dirt level, those would again sprout out, I guess, uh, eventually, wouldn't they? Well, you know, these plants grow, fresh growth appears at the top. So you do want to be careful not to over-prune, which is why I'm suggesting get rid of the long ones on one side, turn it around and make that the back side. And am I correct that you'll gain a lot of room back? Yeah, I would be correct. I think that's the safest thing. Okay. All right? Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate your help. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. As prompts. It is time for a very seasonal, although not festive, question of the week, which we're calling pantry moths and other flying pests. Rose in the Ozarks recently left this intriguing message on our voicemail. I just finished listening to your November 12th show. Now, I'm pretty sure about this, but you can look it up. These so-called pantry moths are actually the creatures that pollinate grains in the field. Then they lay their eggs in the seed heads and eventually emerge from inside your pantry. 
There's nothing, quote, wrong with them. You can even eat them. And in fact, on one of his programs, I believe Dr. Zorba said that this is how vegans get their vitamin B12. Well, Rose, that particular thought just chased a bunch of vegans to run screaming from the room and probably some omnivores as well. In American society, there is a strong prejudice against eating any kind of insect, especially small, wormy larvae that you didn't deliberately order off a menu. But one of the advantages of doing this show has been the opportunity to eat properly prepared insects on several occasions. My favorite is fried crickets served with a variety of dipping sauces. If you're feeling adventurous and such a dish is offered on a restaurant menu, I urge you to give it a try. I have also found prepared mealworms to be delicious, although I had to eat them with my eyes closed the first couple of times. We should all be aware that many of the world's cultures depend on insects for much of their protein. It's free food. It's delicious. And if you're consuming an agricultural pest, you're also getting even. Now, in the past, our listeners seem to have enjoyed our Eat Your Wheaties segments about consuming uncultivated edible plants via foraging. So why not consider pest control through ingestion? Now, the Dr. Zorba that Rose mentioned. It has been a long time since I last caught the radio show of Zorba Pastor MD, but I'm happy to see he's still at it. His medical advice show is based in Wisconsin and distributed by the Public Radio Exchange, just like You Bet Your Garden. In addition to being a knowledgeable and compassionate physician, he has also long been involved in Tibetan causes and has provided medical care to His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Those are darn good credentials. Anyway, I was intrigued by Rose's supposition slash theory that without pantry pests, there would be no wheat to make triscuits. But alas... I could find no sources to collaborate this idea, and wheat is self-pollinating. No insects of any kind are involved. Now, the term pantry moth is a broad characterization that includes many similar species. The one we deal with the most goes by the common name of Indian meal moth, which I always thought meant they originated in India but instead it comes from their attraction to ornamental, quote, Indian corn. Anyway, as I have explained for more years than I care to admit, these moths get into your pantry two ways. One, they are ubiquitous in our environment and sneak into our homes whenever a door or window is open during warm weather. We rarely, if ever, notice this intrusion which is why I said they sneak in. Once inside, they look for grains that have been unsecurely stored, like flour in sacks that have been opened and then put away unsealed, open boxes of cereal, and dry dog and cat food 
whose bags are rarely sealed after using. That's why our flour, cereal, and kibble is moved to a sealed plastic container after we open it. Once they find such unprotected food, they lay an astonishing amount of eggs directly on the grain. The eggs pupate into disgusting-looking little white caterpillars, which morph into flying adults. The cure, unless you want to try some protein experimentation, is to move everything that's open in that cabinet to a compost pile or, if you must, the trash. Then wash down the inside of the cabinet with soap and water, as the pests often lay some eggs on nearby surfaces as well. No vinegar, no bleach, just good old soap and water to physically dislodge any cocoons. P.S. Please don't use bleach, period. A healthy home is no place for a trench gas left over after World War I. The other way they can come in is on purchased bulk grains or loosely packaged grain products. You can put such items in the freezer for 24 hours to prevent adult emergence. Prevention is easy. Pantry moth traps are widely available and chemical-free. They ship flat, and you unfold them into a small tent-like structure that's sticky inside and contains a pheromone that attracts the adults. Replace the traps when the inside gets covered with frustrated moths. Stick with it, cough, get it, and you'll soon be pest-free. Oh, and it's the same with, quote, clothes moths, which are similar but a different species. It's hard to seal up all your clothes, which makes pheromone traps an excellent investment. And finally, yellow sticky traps are the cure for, quote, fruit flies, which are inevitable if you keep fresh fruit or kitchen waste out in the open. They like to congregate around worm bins as well. These traps are widely available and, again, chemical-free. Buy them in bulk and put out more than you think you'll need. They'll not only trap your annoying little flyers, but the number of, quote, catches on each trap will give you a good idea of how serious the infestation is. Works great on the fungus gnats that attack houseplants as well. Well, that sure was a thorough look at how to handle unwanted kitchen invaders now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read this adventure over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to terrorize my Triscuits if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time, but you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. 
You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a message teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, in the holiday spirit, include your location. You can get even with me later. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City, ding dong, ding dong, of Bethlehem, PA. I need another vacation. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a mad scientist exposed him to a strange radioactive substance and his shoelaces fell off. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work. Look at pretty pictures of their plants. Our followers have sent in and then send pretty pictures of your plants to her at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Jasmine Griffin. Our irreplaceable audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our suspicious associates, Zach the Takwasneski and Ducky the Dancing Duck, wish you the happiest of holidays. As does our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be stuffing myself with potato latkes until I can see you again next week. Hey, you over there, that last one is mine. I called it. One, two, three, checkouts. Hand it up. Oh, what? There's a fresh batch coming out of the kitchen? Um, never mind. That one's yours. Hey, am I a sport or what?